We're going to be in Psalm 37 this morning, if you want to turn there. As part of our Bible study this week, I asked the question, what are you waiting for? We had a lot of different responses. Um, to win the lottery was one of them. Um, to have the energy to do what I need to do was another one. Um, but it's kind of a big, broad question if you think about it. We could be waiting for all kinds of things. Uh, we could be waiting mostly for what's next, right? Uh, in our country, presidential, political time, this is the season when all that started revving up for the, the election and all that. Maybe we're, you know, waiting for how that unfolds. Uh, or maybe we're, you know, waiting to see what next uh, movie or song our favorite pop star or movie star or whatever is, you know, putting out. Uh, in the church, maybe we're waiting to see, uh, you know, what the next, who the next celebrity preacher is going to be or what they're going to say or what kind of books they're going to put out or... Uh, what the next big worship song is going to be, kinds of things that seem to be, the church seems to be preoccupied with in some sense. Uh, or in our own lives, maybe, like how, how are we going to finally pay off debt? When is that going to happen? We're looking forward to that. We're waiting for that. Or uh, retirement and travel, or to not be in pain anymore. Um, above and beyond all these things, though, I think... A lot of people, at least in, in the Christian world, are waiting for the second coming of Jesus. It seems to be a really hot topic if you bring it up. It's, it's a lot of people have a lot of opinions about when and how and all the different things. And there's you know a long line of pastors and preachers who have put a date on it and said it's going to happen at this point or this point or that point. And there's just a lot of sort of stuff that goes with that. One of the, uh, the earliest, as I was looking back, sort of in American history, one of the earliest preachers that, that did this was named William Miller. Uh, I don't know if any of y'all have ever heard of him, uh, or if you've heard of the Millerites, maybe. That's his group that came from him. He was originally a Baptist preacher, uh, and he calculated, did some, some sort of math, and figured out the second coming of Jesus would happen on October 22nd, 1844. And it didn't, as we all know. Um, and then he adjusted it, and it was this date. And then, you know, kept adjusting over time. But he became a leader in what is known as the Adventist movement. Now, Advent, as we know, that word means uh, to arrive. And so when you talk about Adventists, it just means those who are concerned with the second coming of Jesus. And there, there was a movement that sort of became its own denomination or fractured denominations. There's like three or four different groups at least. Uh, but when he predicted that this would all happen and everybody was in a furor and, and people well outside of his own little congregation were listening to him, inviting him to speak and all this stuff, leading up to it, and then it didn't happen, there's actually a name for that time period, and it's called the Great Disappointment. 
And there's a whole, there's a whole like the Encyclopedia Britannica page that explains it and the whole thing. And I read it, it was, it was fascinating. Um, as, as the groups sort of, as they were disappointed with it not happening, they sort of decided, well, it meant this, or it meant that, or, or this is what's really going on. They, so they differed. And one became called the seventh millennium, uh, that, we had, that that date marked the date we had entered the seventh millennium and that the saved people should no longer work. No, we don't have to work anymore. And here we are working all these years later. I don't know what we were thinking. Uh, but yeah, the seventh, seventh millennium, shouldn't have to work anymore. And then there was another group that uh, they, they, called, they didn't call themselves this. This had to be something somebody else called them. But they came up with this sort of shut door theology. So they were called shut door folks. And that meant that from that date, no more would be saved. So everybody got saved before that date, and then that date actually meant your chances are over. It's, it's all done now. Um, and there were other offshoots. One, and this, this is my favorite one, and I don't mean to be mean, but uh, a, a pastor named J.D. Pickens used Revelation 14 to teach that Christ was now sitting on a white cloud and had to be prayed down. So like he's waiting for us to like pray enough to bring the cloud down. I don't know. It didn't make a lot of sense. Um, now, as Christians, of course we believe that Jesus will return. That's one of our major beliefs. To, he will come to finalize his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, it, it's a core component of our faith. And, and these are good things related to this. Uh, in Matthew 24, 36 and 25, uh, 13, Jesus himself, though, says this. Nobody knows when. No one knows the day or hour, he says. Not even the angels, not even me. Not even Jesus. Now, if Jesus doesn't know something, if he doesn't know when, I'm not going to listen to any of the folks that think they do. You know what I mean? Seems weird. Uh, and Paul went on in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2, uh, sort of referring to the, the foolish virgins and, and the thief in the night idea and talking about what it means to wait versus what it means to uh, be surprised, sort of, because that's the idea. The thief in the night surprises you. You don't expect it. Now, there's context for the passage we're about to read and, and as we talk about waiting and being patient as a fruit, an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's what we're talking about. Context is, is, is this for what we're about to read. Genesis 13 through 15, we're not going to read all of that. But in that passage, God promises Abraham several things. He promises that Abraham's people will inherit the land, that they will drive out their enemies before them, and that they will live well in the land, that they will live prosperously in the land. When David is writing this, I believe it's David that wrote this, it's a thousand years later. And those things haven't really fully happened. I mean, they, the, the people of Israel had moved into the promised land, but they didn't have it all. They still had problems with enemies at their borders, pushing in, trying to take, trying to, you know, there was always issues. 
They lived under constant threat of one thing or another. And so David, as he's writing this, um, he, he says some things. And that's what we're going to pay attention to as, as we start to read here. Uh, just think about all these things. that There's these promises that the people of God have been waiting for. And it's so much longer later and it hasn't happened. So that's what we're going to look at the first uh, 11 verses of this passage. Follow along with me, if you will. Verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil deeds. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. May God bless the reading of his word. Okay, so we see some different things in here. One is that David uses this term fret not. And he says it three days, three times, right? And we know that anytime something is repeated, it's emphasis. And we also know that in Hebrew, different uh, use of different numbers of times means different things. They, they have numbers that mean things. And so number three, it, it symbolizes the third day of creation when God uh, brought about the plants with seeds and and trees with fruit and different things that would reproduce. And it sort of symbolizes, because of that, new life. So the number three sort of symbolizes new life, among other things, but new life is one of the main things. And so you get this repetition for emphasis that God is doing something new. That's kind of what David said. Don't, don't worry. God's, God's going to do something. God's going to take care of things here. And he says it three times. And the word fret in Hebrew is kara. And uh, it doesn't mean fear or worry. It actually means to glow, which is interesting. Um, sort of has the, the, you know how Hebrew works with it, a very concrete sort of statement, but it means something abstract. The figurative version of this is to be kindled with anger. So if you think of glowing like a, a fire pit, maybe, that's not full of blaze, but that's glowing. Right? And, and the, the heat that's generated from that. That's sort of what he's pointing out here. When he says, don't fret, he's saying, don't, don't be kindled with anger. Don't be glowing like you could turn into a raging fire at any moment. Don't do that. Don't get angry. And the reason he's saying this is because people were in mass getting angry at the fact that they still had to deal with all these things 
and the time hadn't come for the fulfillment of the promise. And so he's like, don't, don't get angry. Don't be impatient. Calm down. Their time won't last. They may have the time now. It may seem like they're, you know, unassailable and they can do anything they want, but their time won't last. Their prosperousness won't last. And instead of doing that, instead of getting angry and, and worried about all this, David lists, I think, four key things um, that we should do instead. And in verse 3, he says to trust in the Lord. In verse 4, he says to delight in the Lord. In verse 5, he says to commit your way to the Lord. And then in verse 7, to sort of bring it all around, he says to be still and wait on the Lord. And so we're going to look at each of those for just a minute. The first one is trust in the Lord. And, and the idea is trusting that God would deliver on the promise. If you think about this, the only way people are getting angry or, or fearful is if they think, if they really don't trust God, if they think God's not going to come through, right? And so we're worried or we're angry or, or you know, and that, that comes from a place of insecurity. And I think all of us have some level of insecurity about the future and about what's next and about, you know, what God has for us or what's going to happen in our lives or How's this going to go or how's that going to go? Different things. And I think we can relate with that in this way. Trust in the Lord. Remain calm. It's, it's all going to work out, right? Um, they, they needed to trust in the Lord that their enemies would be driven out. Some of us have actual enemies. People who are, who are out to mess with us or, or cause problems for us or, or maybe it's Someone we know that we've known a long time, maybe it's somebody that's new to town. I don't know what all the situations are, but all of us have sort of those things. Uh, and so they're needing to trust in the Lord that the enemies would be moved away like God promised. And we need to as well. I think all too often we're tempted to sort of do things ourselves to make that happen, to make it happen faster. And you see all through, if you read all through the Old Testament, that Israel just tries to handle that they, they know they're supposed to take over the promised land and they keep trying to do it on their own. They keep not waiting on the Lord. They keep not doing things the, the, the peaceful way that God sort of set before them here. Do this, do this, do this. Sometimes they do and it works amazingly. And then a lot of times they don't, right? Which is weird, but we do the same thing. We've seen God work in our lives. You know, we know the things that God has done, and yet sometimes we're impatient, we get angry, we want things faster or this way or, you know. <laughs> Trust in the Lord that, that they would enjoy prosperity. Now, I don't mean the sort of health and wealth, name and claim it stuff that we hear sort of in other circles. This prosperity has to do with you'll live in the land and you'll live well. You'll interact with others well. There'll be trade, there'll be commerce, different things. And it's, it's all going to be sort of peaceful. And if you think about it, that's the picture that we get at the end of Revelation with New Jerusalem. There's people coming in and going. There's trade, there's commerce in this idea of New Jerusalem. But it's peaceful. 
and, and nobody's attacking and nobody's going to war. And so that's kind of the idea here. The second thing he says is to delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, that might make us think, well, I'll just get what I want. But that's not exactly how this works. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, your heart is being changed and moved. This is the whole fruit of the Spirit idea. Your heart's being changed and moved in line with Christ-likeness. And so the things that you're going to desire are going to be the things that Jesus would desire. And those are good things. And, and it can be simple things, everyday things, like a peaceful life, uh, uh, you know, to, to live well in the, the place where God has put you. But I think it, it can also mean bigger things. But it all has to do with us aligning ourselves with the way of God. And our heart will then desire those things. And God won't hold back. That's the idea. That if we desire the things of God, God's not going to hold them back and go, no, I don't think you're, no, you're not ready, or you're not worth it, or what. None of that. And Jesus even says, how much more? You know, even you guys know how to feed your kids. How much more will God give you the things that you're needing? And so if we align ourselves and our, our hearts with God, and we're, and we're waiting patiently, again, that goes back to the key component, and not trying to get it all ourselves, it's going to work out. He also says to commit your way to the Lord. And that has to do with keep doing what you know to do. Right? God has set before us a way to live. A way to live by ourselves and in, in, in our connection with God. A way to live with each other in the way that we interact with each other. A way to interact with the town and the state and the country and the world. Right? God has set a path for how, what that looks like. And it has to do with following in the way of Jesus. And what he's basically saying is just keep doing what you know to do. The simple things, the everyday things. Be kind to your neighbor, right? Love your enemy, those kinds of things. Just do these things. Live by God's way regardless of the situation. I think that's one of the things we, we take for granted. We, a lot of times a situation will come up and we sort of make exceptions, right? To God's rule, to God's way. And we start to, to make exceptions and do different things that God hasn't said to do. And it ends up leading us in a bad direction. And what he's saying is, is keep doing what you know to do. Live by God's way no matter what happens. Even if it's hard, even if it's painful, it's going to work out for the best in the end. And that, that can be really difficult. And I know I've, I've had to have some conversations that I didn't want to have, but for this very reason, because I felt like I need to have this conversation. I, I, I need to make sure that this relationship is where, where it should be, you know? And, and am, am I risking something by doing this? Yes. That's the thing. It's all going to be risk. But we need to be able to face those risks and do those things and follow in God's way. Now, the last thing, is, and this I think is the key component, is to be still and wait on the Lord. And it makes me wonder, like, why are we so impatient? Now, I know why we're sort of impatient. I think our culture just breeds that into us over time. Because our culture is built on, you can have whatever you want right now, right? Just go out and get it. 
Go buy it at the store. Go pick it up over here. Go do this. Go do that. You can, you can have whatever you want. You can watch whatever you want. And even more so now with streaming, it used to be you had to wait a week, right? Until the show would come back on. But now it's streaming, everything all the time. You can just pick and watch. And there's 53 million streaming services and all kinds of content that you can watch. You just fill your brain and binge watch it over and over all the things. It's, it's caused something in us where we think we just, everything's at our fingertips. And we, we sort of transfer that over the way that we act with God. Everything at our fingertips. God, why aren't you doing the thing that I, come on. I clicked the button, let's go. You know? That's not how it works. We need to be patient. We need to wait. And we're not good at that. And I think sometimes it's, it's because of fear. We're afraid that we won't get what we want. We won't get things the way that we want them to be. That we won't end up where we think we should end up. Uh, or, or maybe we won't get what we think we deserve. Maybe we've done well and we deserve this. Maybe we think that won't happen. Uh, or maybe it's because of anger. Like, like he's talking about glowing, that, that sort of burning, growing anger. So we see others doing well. We see others doing these things and getting their way and doing all the things they want to. And, and it seems like there's no repercussions for any of it. But they're living outside of God's way. And, and what David is pointing out in this is that that's not going to end well for them. It seems like everything's going fine now, but it's not going to end well. And if you will endure the hard stuff now, you will end well. If you follow God's way through the difficulties now, it will end well. And so that's what he's kind of getting at. Now, what's interesting too is that the, the three times he says don't fret, he also says another phrase three times. And that's that you will inherit the land. So those two things are connected in this uh, sort of poetic song that they have, right? Three times don't fret, three times inherit the land. A repetition for emphasis, the whole thing. And the three times that he's saying God is doing something new, maybe it's behind the scenes, but it's for our benefit. And that's, that's another thing I think we miss. We, we are a visual people, and we need to see things happening in order to sort of believe in them, right? Uh, I was, uh, you know, I'll tell a story, and somebody goes, pictures or it didn't happen, right? That's sort of the phrase. But that's the idea, is that God often works quietly behind the scenes where we don't see all the things that God is doing. But God is never just sitting around, right? God is in motion. God is constantly moving and doing and, and sort of weaving things together to make them happen for our good, for our benefit. Now, we aren't Israel. I don't think anybody in here is Israel. But we're not the promised land. We weren't promised land, really. So how can we understand what this means then if the idea is to inherit the land? What does that mean for us? Well, we know that God's kingdom is not finalized yet, right? It's been inaugurated. It's started, but it's not there yet. And we've talked about multiple times about how we are the place where heaven and earth meet. And we're sort of the, the outposts of, of the life of heaven on earth. 
We're, we're the glowing beacons, the city on a hill, right? Where the people can look to and see what the life of God's kingdom looks like. Uh, another way I described it uh, Wednesday night was we are the pioneers on the frontier of a new land. And it doesn't have anything to do with borders or, or wars for resources or boundaries. or see, God's kingdom is all of creation. The whole thing. Wherever there are believers, there are pioneers. And we're that beacon. We're that light. Now God's promise is still true. He kept it in Jesus. We've talked about how Jesus is sort of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And the idea that they would inherit the land actually leads to the idea that we're going to inherit the earth. The whole thing. He says that at the end, the meek will inherit the earth, right? And then Jesus says that in the Sermon on the Mount. The meek will inherit, blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. He just echoes it. It's the same idea. And the idea about driving out enemies, then, if we're going to inherit this, what does that look like? Are we supposed to go to war with all our enemies and, and beat them out of existence? That's not the way of Jesus. Not that we see ever in the way of Jesus. Look at everything Jesus did, and he's consistently acting in love, which we talked about through the Spirit. Number one, love, right? Number one is love. And so you defeat your enemies, you drive them out by turning them with love. And your enemy becomes your friend or your ally. That's happened before. We might be shaking our heads, but aren't we getting along pretty good with Japan? We bombed them into oblivion. But we're friends now. How does that happen? Over time, things change. Things heal. It's a, it's a miracle, if you ask me. In verses 8 and 9, he talks about anger and wrath pre-specifically, and I wanted to bring out those words. In Hebrew, uh, the first word for anger is actually off. And it, it, it doesn't mean anger like we think of, like, I'm angry. It actually means a flared nostril. We talked about this, I think, before. So, like, when you're upset, you go, you flare your nostrils. That's what he's saying here. Don't, don't get all flared nostrils about things. And the second one is, is kema, which means uh, heat, and, or figuratively, rage. In other words, that glowing pile of stuff has become a raging fire. He's like, don't let that happen. Don't let this be who you are as a people. Don't get hot-headed. Don't let your temper rise and get out of control. Don't let these things guide your actions. Be still and wait on the Lord. And I'll say it two more times for emphasis. Be still and wait on the Lord. Be still and wait on the Lord. Now we can't grow in the fruit of the Spirit if we are giving in to our own anger over things not going the way that we think they should. I don't want to go into any detail, but just look around our country today. And this is exactly what's going on. It's exactly what's going on. And, and even with Christians and they're impatient, and make the world this way now. Just be patient, 
and let God work and be the church, right? And love people and have joy and have peace and have patience. We can't be giving in to anger and wrath because that's like pouring poison on a plant and then thinking it'll grow. And that's not how that works, right? But David wrote that only those who wait on the Lord will inherit the land. Only the patient will receive the promise. And then he said, just a little while. Just a little while. Now when we think of a little while, it's like, okay, I waited. <laughs> Where's the thing? But with God, a thousand years is a day, days is a thousand years, but still a little while, right? It's not infinite. It's not never ending. There's going to come a time where evil will end. There will be an end to evil. It will not prosper forever. There will be no more evil. There will be no more wicked. No matter where you look, he says, you can go looking for them. They'll be gone. Right? We still see them. So that time hasn't come yet. But it's coming. They won't have an endless reign over the earth. They will not continue to prosper forever. But what we inherit will last forever. And that's the difference here. The prosperity that the Lord brings has no end. But we have to go back to that key and be still and wait. And it may seem like forever. And it may be our whole lives. This whole psalm boils down to this idea. Everything God promised will happen. However bad it seems right now, God will come through in the end. And that's the whole idea of why Christians should be able to live and exhibit a patience that, that like confuses people when they come across us. How can you be so patient? How can you be so peaceful? How do you have so much joy? Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in us. And what that looks like is our realization that we don't have to let what is temporary cloud our vision. The things that are passing away are not the most important things. We stay focused on what is eternal. God and the things of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. As we read in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some counsel in us, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So see, God's taking his time because there's other people that need to be a part of this. And if we live in this town, we're supposed to be the church here in order to show them the light. That's the whole point. Now, if one has... If one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is patience, then it should be evident in our daily lives. It should also be evident in our theology. Now, you might be thinking, I'm, I'm not a theologian. Okay, I'm not either. But all of us have theology. Because all that means is beliefs about God, right? Study of God, beliefs about God. The church has really been caught up in the whole sort of end times idea, theology, in an unhealthy way. 
for, for a while, for a couple hundred years at least. We haven't been still and waited on the Lord. We have been impatiently waiting for Jesus to return. And it seems like every generation, I mean, we read about this guy Miller at the very beginning, and, and he was preaching the Lord's coming back in our time, and everybody thought so, right? And then it didn't happen. And the next group came along, and they're like, the Lord's coming back in our time, and then it didn't happen. And so each group keeps setting itself up for disappointment. And part of what I'm trying to say to you today is that to wait and be patient and, and, and put all your trust in God means that we're not worried about when. We know it will happen. We believe it's coming. But we're not worried about when. We're worried about living our lives and the fruit of the Spirit showing through our lives. Because if we're doing the things that we know to do, when it happens, it won't be a problem. Right? It'll be okay. We'll be ready. Because we're living like we should be living. I think too many Christians have overlooked or, or just flat ignored true patience. It's evident in the fact that we don't have a lot of hymns. <laughs> we were talking about this. We don't have a lot of hymns about patience. We have a couple, three or four, but not a bunch. You know? People not writing hymns about that. We just have kind of ignored it. And we've kind of made excuses for why we're not so patient. But true patience is the kind that, that is still before the Lord. And, and maybe that's where some of us falter. We don't like being still, first of all. And we don't like being still before the Lord because of what that means and what, that, what we think will happen if that, you know, like, oh, if I, if I stop and I open myself up to the Lord, what's he going to tell me? What's he going to point out? What's he going to, you know? And we're, we're worried. Because we have things we want to hold on to, things we don't want to let go of God. We don't want to give them up. That's mine. I'm holding on to it. But we need to be still before the Lord. We need to calm ourselves and present ourselves to God. It's the kind also that is a product of the love of God. The only way we can have the patience that I'm talking about today is if we are experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's the only way. People outside of, of this don't exhibit this kind of patience. It just doesn't happen. They may have patience of some sort or another, but it's not like this. And then the final thing is that the kind, this is the kind of patience that the Holy Spirit is producing, actively producing in every true believer. So if, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit, that's, the whole, that's part of the thing the Holy Spirit's doing is producing love, joy, peace, and patience in us. And so that's what our lives should look like. And hopefully they will. Will you pray with me?